Now and then, we here at The Andrew Claven Show like to visit a website called Everyday Feminism to see if we can give new meaning to the word blithering. Everyday Feminism is a website that demonstrates the effect on your intelligence if you're exposed to feminism every day. So don't let this happen to you. Today, for instance, we find an Everyday Feminism blog post called 160 Examples of Male Privilege. I'm not making this up. I wish I could read you all 160 examples of male privilege because watching you claw your ears off with your naked fingers would amuse me in a sort of sick, sadistic way. But in the interest of time, let's just choose a few choice examples to see if we can get you to hit yourself in the head with a claw hammer in the hope of making us stop. One way in which men are privileged, says everyday feminism, is that they can, quote, dominate conversations without being judged. EF claims women are perceived as being too talkative even when they speak less than men. Although, when that ever happened, they don't say. Also, men are less likely to be interrupted when they speak because something or other. I'm sorry, sweetheart, my attention wandered on that one. Anyway, I'm sure it was really interesting. Another male privilege is that men can stop shaving their faces when they travel, but if women stop shaving their legs and under their arms, they become all disgusting, like spiders or Italians. Like, that's my fault. Another male privilege, says everyday feminism, is that men are more likely to be congratulated for having lots of sex, whereas women are shamed for it and called sluts. This, of course, is because men generally sleep with women, which is cause for congratulations, whereas women sleep with men, which is nearly always a mistake. Nonetheless, it is true that the chance to be promiscuous at will does leave men free to live a fabulous life culminating in loneliness and disease. Everyday feminism warns us that, quote, male privilege hurts everyone because accessing male privilege often requires you to conform to a toxic norm of masculinity. This is true. In order to access male privilege, you have to conform to cliched standards of being strong, brave, and responsible while keeping your emotions in check and earning enough money to support your wife and any living creature that happens to spring out of her midsection on your watch. Such male norms are toxic, of course, because they make everyday feminists feel bad about themselves when they become whiny and hysterical over every stupid little thing. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. And I love that site. It's like it's just an endless source. I mean, half of that stuff was real. All right, sex. That's all we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about sex and religion and politics. It's going, this show is going to be like your nightmare dinner party. So like we invited Clavin. We invited Clavin over. And all he would talk about was sex and politics and religion. All right. But first, a word from our regretful sponsor who's thinking, what have I got myself into? Uh, This is Hillsdale College, who has a new course on the American presidency, because you may have noticed that people are talking a lot about the American presidency and wondered why. You may not be intelligent enough to take this course, but if you if you want to, it's the it tells you teaches you that the American presidency is the most powerful office in the world, but it isn't. A monarchy. It's not the same as being king. So many current candidates view the presidency as the accumulation of all three powers, legislative, executive, and judicial, but that is not how the framers designed it. You can learn about the separation of powers and how to restore constitutional restraints in a free Hillsdale College course. It's called the Presidency and the Constitution. You can get it by signing on at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew. 
Sign up for free at hillsdale.edu slash Andrew, and you get a new lesson every week right in your inbox from Hillsdale's professors. Learn how the Constitution protects us from would-be dictators, or did when we still had a Constitution. It'll be kind of a walk back into the past. <laughs> All right, so let's start with politics. we got to do the news of the day. Paul Ryan has made what they call the Sherman Statement, right, because it's named after Mr. Peabody's assistant, Sherman, who traveled in the Wayback Machine to, uh, back to the Civil War and became the general, William Tecumseh Sherman, who made the famous statement when they said he was going, they wanted him to be the GOP, the Republican presidential nominee. He said, if nominated, I won't run, and if elected, I won't serve. And now, excuse me, I have to get back to burning Atlanta. I think that was the statement. So Paul Ryan did not get back to burning Atlanta, but they've been floating Paul Ryan's name as the white knight on the dark horse who's going to ride in and save the day and not give us Donald Trump or, of course, Ted Cruz, both of whom the establishment GOP thinks are, you know, the devil incarnate. They're not sure which they hate worse. I think they hate Trump a little bit worse because they have no idea what he's about, whereas Cruz, they know what he's about and hate him for that. So it's different, but they keep talking about some establishment candidates going to come. But Paul Ryan, who, by the way, will be the chairman of the convention as Speaker of the House, he becomes the chairman of the convention. So he has a lot of power over the rules and over the committees and all that stuff. So he made the following statement. He came out and said he is not going to run under any circumstances. We have too much work to do in the House to allow this speculation to swirl or to have my motivations questioned. So let me be clear. I do not want, nor will I accept the nomination for our party. So let me speak directly to the delegates on this. If no candidate has a majority on the first ballot, I believe that you should only choose from a person who has actually participated in the primary. Count me out. I simply believe that if you want to be the nominee for our party, to be the president, you should actually run for it. I chose not to do this. Therefore, I should not be considered, period, end of story. Now, don't beat around the bush, Paul. Tell us what, you, what you're trying to say. You know, I can really, I can really see tomorrow, like there'll be all these op-eds, but was he, did he really rule it out? You know, he didn't, he didn't like burn the stage down or kill anybody, which really would have eliminated him. So th this is actually an important statement because, and George Will pointed this out on Fox last night, that it really rules out not just him, but Mitt Romney and anybody else who has not participated, any of these kind of faint hopes that the Republican establishment had, if for lack of a better word, that the Republican bosses had, that they were going to be saved from the absolute spectacle of uh, Donald Trump or the even worse constitutional uh, you know, governance of a Ted Cruz. So they, these, this kind of rules that out because he is the chairman of the party. And it makes the stakes really high for the GOP because think about it for a minute. If if Donald, if Ted Cruz gets the nomination and loses the general election, the Trump guys will never, ever forgive the Republican Party. That will be essentially their proof that, oh, if we had only had Trump, I mean, Trump has very little chance of winning, but he could win. If we'd only had Trump, we would have won. They'll ne I mean, the party is basically finished if Cruz gets the nomination and loses. If Trump gets the nomination and loses, the party is almost certainly finished because now we've been exposed as being exactly what the left says we are, a bunch of blowhard, kind of racist, loudmouths who you know, have no adherence. Plus, plus, Trump's a liberal. So all the conservatives on the, in the Republican Party are going to get disgusted and they may move out. Now, if, 
if Cruz wins, we could have, you know, a conservative golden age. It's very possible. If he wins and he does a good job, we could have a conservative golden age. If Trump wins, of course, we'll have a thousand years of darkness. I mean, I think that's pretty, pretty clear, not to be unfair. So, so it really, it really is, a, that was a big move. Ryan made it, I don't know, I don't know what his personal motives were, but nobody wants him, I mean, something like 60, over 60% of Republicans say they do not want someone who is not running to be the presidential candidate, and they shouldn't be. I mean, running for office proves your mettle. It proves that you can organize. It proves that you can appoint good people. It proves that you can run the ship. You know, everything that, uh, and, and Trump is still complaining. Trump is still complaining about Colorado. He's using this as his wedge in New York to sort of say, I'm being cheated out of it. The bosses are cheating you. So he made he made this speech yesterday, and always listens, one-syllable words repeated over and over again. Here he's talking about the how he's been rigged. Our Republican system is absolutely rigged. It's a phony deal. Now, what do I know? I started running like nine months ago. Who would have thought I would have been in first place? What do I know? Right? What do I know? But I'm in first place by a lot. Millions and millions of votes. That doesn't count. You notice? Nobody even talks about votes. I have millions of votes more, but I also have hundreds of delegates more. But that's not the same thing to me. I think the vote is the thing that you count, right? The vote. This was a dirty trick. These are dirty tricksters. This is a dirty trick. And I'll tell you what, the RNC, the Republican National Committee, they should be ashamed of themselves for allowing this kind of crap to happen. I can tell you that. They should be ashamed of themselves. Someone should be ashamed. I mean, you know, he's, he's telling us the vote, the delegates don't matter. The vote should matter. That Those weren't the rules. He signed on. He's the guy. I didn't tell him to run. He decided to run. He decided to run for the Republican nomination. The Republican is an ind- Republican Party is an independent group. So the New York Times, a former newspaper, and this is one of the things that drives me crazy about Trump, is that he gives legitimacy to back to the mainstream media. The mainstream media got rid of all their legitimacy when they backed Obama to the point of not covering the IRS scandal, Benghazi, anything. They've just dumped everything. When they were covering non-scandal scandals under George W. Bush, they cover they cover nothing that Obama does. Obama has done nothing wrong. And then they talk around, sit around and talk about what a wonderful presidency. There are no scandals. You know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, but Trump has given these papers legitimacy because when they describe him, they get him right. So Times has an article today by blaming the process rather than his own inadequacies as a manager. Mr. Trump is trying to shift focus after Senator Ted Cruz of Texas outmaneuvered him in delegate contests in states like Colorado, North Dakota and Iowa losses that could end up denying Mr. Trump the nomination. Asked about the appearance of disorganization, Mr. Trump said in an interview, you have to remember, I'm leading. I'm more than 200 delegates ahead, so overall I'm doing very well. But in what sounded like a wink-wink aside, says the Times, Trump said, don't forget, I only complain about the ones where we have difficulty. So the process works great. I mean, this is, you know, con men do this all the time. They tell you they're conning you. It's a weird psychological trick because it pulls you into the con. It makes them think that it makes you identify with them. So they'll say, I'm conning you. I'm really pulling a fast one. And Trump is doing exactly that. You know, I only complain on the ones when we have difficulty. In other words, when he wins the state, the Republican rules are just fine. It's fine. Then delegates matter. Then everything is great. Okay. So 
Here, the, the Times goes on, Mr. Pa- Trump has a pattern of claiming fraud when an election does not go his way. And his critics say this kind of misdirection is his specialty. If Trump can't win something, he'll always say it's someone else's fault, said Stuart Stevens, a Republican strategist who has advised several presidential candidates, most recently Mitt Romney. Donald Trump, he says, is a place you go to settle scores. Listen to this carefully. Donald Trump, this is the Republican strategist speaking, Donald Trump is a place you go to settle scores. Trump, that's what he's selling. You've been cheated here. You've been cheated there. And I'll get you yours, okay? Now, this is all very frustrating because, of course, on the Democrat side, they have the worst candidate on earth losing to the second worst candidate on earth, who may be even worse than she is. I don't I can't who can tell whether this horrible, screechy felon in, you know, is worse than this old guy back from the future, back from the 1930s to bring us socialism and save us all. But you know what they're arguing about? I mean, this election was ours. It was ours. This election was ours and we're blowing it. But you know what they're arguing about over there? They're arguing about a joke. Hillary Clinton had a, a, an event a few days ago with Bill de Blasio, the communist mayor of New York. And one of the actors from Hamilton, the big hit musical, Leslie Adam Jr., who's black, was on the stage with them. And this is a written skit, okay? And so they made this joke, uh, Clinton talking to de Blasio. Thanks for the endorsement, Bill. Took you long enough. Oh, snap! Sorry, Hillary. I was running on CP time. That's not, I don't, I don't like jokes like that, though. That's not funny. Cautious politician time. Cautious, CP time is colored person time, right? Black people are supposed to be late. So they make this clumsy joke. And of course, it's the Democrat Party, so you're not allowed to say anything anywhere. Nobody has any sense of humor. It's a lousy joke, but I mean, <laughs> it's like, you know, for, for politicians, the bar is set pretty low. So they make this joke. So two things happen. One, of course, Twitter and social media light up. Everybody starts talking about it. This is awful. Hillary Clinton. Cable news goes absolutely quiet. They don't even cover it. It doesn't exist. It's like the three cable networks, even Fox. I mean, I think they mentioned it on Red Eye, basically. That was it. So nobody ever talks about it. And by the way, just so you know, you know, the joke, um, Obama made this joke when he was a senator. We have him from back in the days when he was a senator. Here he, here he is making the same joke. I want to apologize uh, for being a little bit late, but uh, you guys keep on asking whether I'm black enough. <laughs> Okay, that's actually a better joke. I mean, it was a better, better delivery, the whole thing. It was a, so, so, but this gets no coverage at all. And just, of course, imagine, play the substitution game. Imagine, imagine what would happen if Ted Cruz made that joke. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I'm late. I'm running on CP time. I'm, running, I'm, I'm moving, moving like the colored people move, you know? I mean, Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz would be carried out of the election on a stretcher, you know? It's like, what? What did I say? It's the same thing as the Democrats. I take him out of here. We'll kill him, you know? It's, like, like, so, it's a little bit different. And we're going to get back to why it's different, and that's going to take us to the wonderful subject of sex and God. First, a word from our sponsor, the lovely people at Reagan.com. I always love this part of the show because a picture of Ronald Reagan comes up. You know, it's inspiring. 
And it's there to remind you to protect your privacy. Keep these big companies from looking at your emails, reading through your emails, finding the product names, and then spamming you with their ads in your computer so that every time you go on, you are reminded of the fact that some company has been reading your letters to your wife. You also want to protect yourself from the government, which is just scooping up everything, like with a bulldozer, just scoops up every piece of information, stores it at the NSA, and then can go search it anytime it wants. But you can take back your privacy in your emails by getting an email address at Reagan.com. You get your name at Reagan.com. And if your name doesn't happen to be your name, you can get something else at Reagan.com. It's your private email address that will now proudly bear President Reagan's name with every email you send. And that should annoy everybody you know if you hang out with the kind of people I do. But you also will know that your emails will never be scanned or shared with third parties. It's just between you and the people you send your email to. So go to reaganprivacy.com right now and secure your personal private email address. And you get two free bonus months. You get two months free if you go right now to reaganprivacy.com. Okay, so how come? How come the Democrats don't get scored when they make CP jokes. They make, uh, you know, the slow colored people jokes, you know. It's kind of unbelievable when you think, when you think about, like, if, if a conservative commentator says, oh, it was a dark day when Obama was elected. It's like, you said dark, you said dark, and, you know, Obama is half black, and that's, you know, oh my, you're a racist. But these guys say, well, colored people are slow, they're kind of shiftless, the colored man is kind of, it's like, nothing, nothing. It's like, forget it, it's okay. And they always have the same excuse. Well, they have a long history, a long career of helping the black man, and so they're, you know, we know that they didn't mean to say anything untoward. But of course, the reason is identity politics is not about identity. It's about politics. It's a power play. It's a way of organizing your grievances. Go back to what we said about Donald Trump. Okay, And people keep saying Donald Trump is a Democrat. Here's a way that Donald Trump is a Democrat. The Democrats are all about your grievances. Okay, They're all about selling you the fact that you have been game. Remember just what the guy said about Donald Trump. You got cheated, I will get you yours. You got cheated, I will get you yours. The Democrats never say to you, pull yourself up, you know, get yourself together. They always say to you, you've been cheated, I will make it right. You, same as Donald Trump, same thing. It's the system is rigged. Every time you hear Trump say this, you can just hear it's the same as Hillary saying the system is rigged. I can make it right. It's been rigged because you're a woman. It's been rigged because you're black. And the way we're going to make it right is by taking stuff away from the other guy. Just like we started, you know, the, your male privilege. You have to give up your male privilege. Well, why don't you have to, you know, why as a woman don't you have to invent an airplane? Why don't you have to invent a new kind of computer? You know, why do I have to give up anything? Why don't you just raise yourself to my level if that's what you want to do? I mean, if you really think I'm above you, why don't you raise yourself? You know, think about the people who have been really successful, you know, races, if you want to organize people by races, Jews, Koreans, you know, they, you don't hear, you don't hear Koreans going, oh, the people, you know, the people are non-Koreans. They, they go build a store, work in the store 20 hours a day. Their children work in the store 20 hours a day. And then their children go off to school and get PhDs because, because they're not asking for other people to be taken down. They're not asking, they're making themselves stronger rather than trying to make the other guy weaker. And that's what identity politics is all about. Identity politics is all about grievance. So you have to keep finding aggrieved people. And the easiest way to find aggrieved people is between 
the genders between women and men because women and men are actually different. They actually have different capabilities and different desires and they want different things. And all this talk you hear about women not getting paid. I think yesterday, wasn't yesterday equal pay day? Women are equally paid but they do different stuff. They go home more, they get pregnant and stop working, they don't go into the same kind of high, uh, you know, stress jobs that guys go into, and so they get, you know, there are people now complaining that women athletes get paid less. It's because nobody watches women's athletics. I'm sorry, they just don't. Men are more interested in athletics, and men pay attention to men's athletics, and so women, of course, they get, you know, there's no, like, magic reason why women are getting paid less. There's, they get less attention. They get less audience. So <clears throat> all of this kind of boils down to, to sa- you know, the sex becomes the easiest thing to get people ginned up. And people obviously get very excited and very interested in sex. So now they're talking about transgenders. You know, if you, you're, if you are a guy who puts on a bra and a wig and a dress, you're now a woman, you know, you're now, and, and if you're not, if people won't say you're a woman, then they're offending you. They're being evil. And what really, here's what really fascinates me about this. Because I've thought about this a lot. I wonder, why is it, why is it that the people who end up defending male-female identity and male-female are always religious people? What is there about God and religion that makes people kind of cling to this idea? Now, every time I talk about religion, by the way, I just want to start off by saying this. Every time I talk about religion, People get annoyed at me, okay? And I get letters. Some of the letters I get are very nice. I have a, a rule about not debating religion with people I don't know over emails. I don't get into the, theological debates over email. But s- some of the letters I get are really, really pompous. They say things like, you know, you know nothing about Scripture, which just, by the way, happens to be untrue, okay? That happens to be untrue. I actually know quite a lot about Scripture. But I do read it differently than some churches do and some religions do. But they say, you know, if you only knew, if you were only wise, if you only read more, if you, you know, this kind of pompous stuff. And the first, the first thing that always strikes me about that is, like, is that a good advertisement for God when you're a pompous ass? You know, when you're like a superior, supercilious, you know, pedantic, you know, is that, is that really bringing people in, into the fold? But the other thing about it is, is what they're really saying is they're not talking about scripture, they're talking about interpretation. For instance, and this will really, boy, this will annoy you, there's nothing in the Bible that says marriage is between one man and one woman. There's plenty in the Bible to suggest that men, of course, had many wives, and you know they were, there were rules in the Old Testament about, about how you treat your second wife after you marry, you know, so how you treat your first wife after you marry your second wife so she doesn't get thrown out and all this stuff. Now, people read the opening of Genesis, you know, that there's a man and a woman created and therefore you know men will leave their parents and go and cleave together with a woman they'll be one flesh people who read that and interpret it to mean that god wants only a ma- one man and one woman to get married but that's not what it says that's an interpretation you know there's plenty there's plenty of room in the bible that just because you like something just because it's culturally comfortable to you that doesn't mean it's in the bible it just doesn't you know and even even if it's moral, because I happen to think that one man and one woman is more moral, and in, and in societies where there's polygamy, women get treated really badly and their value drops, and I think that that's you know, just a bad thing for society and for women and for men, but, but that doesn't mean it's in the Bible. So when I'm, when I'm talking, I'm talking about my interpretation, my inner light interpretation, which I, you know, may be wrong, but it is what it is. So there was an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago where state 
Georgia State Senator William Ligon, I'm not sure that's how it's pronounced, L-I-G-O-N, asked the question, why are companies taking sides against religious liberty? So this is really fascinating to me. On one side, you have the God people defending, you know, kind of standard marriage, male-female identity, gender identity. And on the other side, you have businesses, you have businesses, you know, who used to kind of kowtow to the religious people are now attacking them. So Georgia tried to pass this bill that all it did was extend federal protections to the state level. All it did was say, look, if you're a Catholic priest, you can't be forced to perform a gay marriage. You know, if you're, And, of course, businesses just came out and hammered Georgia until finally the Georgia governor actually vetoed that bill. And in other states, I think Mississippi had one, and uh, somewhere else they had another. You know, they, they've had laws. They've tried to pass laws saying you don't have to allow men into the girls' bathrooms. Not forcing you not to, just saying you don't have to. And they've been attacked by businesses. So Disney and Marvel, this is reading from uh, Ligon's uh, Wall Street Journal piece. Disney and Marvel, the movie people, threatened to pull production of the Avengers film franchise from Georgia. And the cable channel AMC vowed to take its Walking Dead series elsewhere. The NFL warned that it might drop Atlanta from consideration to host a Super Bowl. Dozens of Georgia companies urged Governor Nathan Deal to veto the bill, which he did. And he asks the question, why does this happen? He says, Ligon quotes a study showing that economic competitiveness is stronger in countries with fewer government restrictions on religious liberty. The more freedom, the more economic competitiveness is. Now, what makes him think that big businesses like economic competition? Big businesses hate capitalism. Successful businesses hate Capitalism, because capitalism says that if I have this tremendous business and I'm spending billions of dollars and I'm advertising and some guy working in his basement comes up with a better idea and sells it cheaper, he can take me down. He can take me down unless unless the government is making it so hard to do business that you have to be able to pay lawyers to cut through the red tape. Okay, so they they hate capitalism. It's only little businesses that love capitalism. When when Bernie Sanders gets out there and says, I'm going to bring socialism to get these corporations, the corporations are dancing in the streets. They're like, Bernie, we love you, baby. You know, bring those regulations. Now, obviously, the big businesses are only the last guy to get eaten. Uh, ultimately, socialism devours everything because you run out of people's money. So, so obviously, the businesses hate, they hate individuality and they hate individual individualism. But why is it? Let's so let's that's on one side, but let's go back. Why is it that religious people are so adamant in on these sexual matters? And the only thing I can come up with, I mean, I I thought about this a lot because my personal attitude to, to you know, Jesus doesn't talk about sex a lot. He doesn't he very rarely talks about sex. He talks about defending women's rights so you, they don't get dumped, they don't get divorced. Uh, he he says at one point that if you lust in your heart, it's the exact same as committing adultery. And if you think about that for a minute, what he's really telling you is don't strut around and, and brag that you haven't cheated on your wife because he knows you wanted to. He knows what you're thinking about, you know, so that, like he's trying to tell you what state you're in. He's, he's trying to tell you that even if you're not committing a sin, you're in a state of sin. OK, so my own personal view is that, you know, Jesus said that that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit, and if you want to get into heaven, you have to be born again of the spirit, okay? So my own personal point of view is that in your sex life, you should follow the spirit, and sex is the place, sex is the place where flesh and the spirit meet, because it is the strongest, sex is the strongest imperative of the flesh, 
but the strongest imperative of the spirit is love, right? We get told this again and again. The two main commandments are love God, love your neighbor. St. Paul said there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. So the two, both your spirit and your uh, flesh are desperately desiring the same thing at the same moment, but they want to do it differently. The flesh just wants to satisfy the flesh. The spirit wants to satisfy the spirit through the flesh, okay? What religious people, I mean, I I have a very, very loosey-goosey idea of how people should live. Basically, I think the Bible is full of good advice on how I should live my life and no advice on how I should judge other people's lives. You know, this is another thing that people write me about all the time. They keep saying, no, 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 you have to, you you know, the Bible says that you have to judge people. And I keep saying, you know, I don't know. That's not the way I read it. It does say judge not unless you be judged. It seems kind of definitive to me. I think that when people follow their spirits, when people live in their spirits, they become independent. They're ready, if you fully live in your spirit, you're ready even to die to defend your freedom. You know, people, when you ask yourself, why would you die to defend your freedom? Well, you die to defend your freedom because you're living in your spirit and you want your spirit to be free and you don't care what they do to your body or if you care, at least, you know, you're willing to put your spirit above it. And that's bad for business. That is bad for business. Marvel and Disney can't make crap entertainment that degrades people if they're living in their spirit. You know, the NFL can't sell what they sell. You know, the halftime, the garbage halftime shows they foist on their audience. They can't sell it if you're living in your spirit. You know, so the, the, this battle over sex, I think the sex is actually a distraction at some level because it's not, we're not really having a fight over sex. We're having a fight over whether we're going to be a country of the spirit or a country of the flesh. And you can see, you can see everywhere, everywhere who is on what side, who is really talking about who, who says, oh, well, a, a homemaker is worth this much money. Homemaker isn't worth any money. A homemaker is priceless, okay? That's because she, the job she does is a job of the spirit. You know, you cannot measure it in money. So it's who is talking about the spirit and who is talking about the flesh? Yesterday, somebody said on Twitter that I went the full Shapiro when I was talking about the future, but I wasn't trying to be depressing when I said all these challenges are coming. I don't think these are bad things. I think the bad thing is what you do, is the choice you make, okay? There's going to be robots you can sleep with. It's your choice, okay? And and when you look, when you look at who wants you to be able to choose and who wants to coerce you, who wants to coerce the priest to do gay marriages, that's the battle we're about to have. The battle we're about to have is not a battle between left and right. It's a battle between authority and freedom. It's a battle between slavery and freedom. Stuff I like. Bad movies that are good, okay? So what have we done? We've done Point Break and Roadhouse. This one is coming out of... I should say right field. It's actually not coming out of left field. It's coming out of right field because I know you've never seen this movie. I will bet you there are 10 people listening today who have seen this movie, okay? Big Jim McClain. <laughs> Big Jim McClain is a John Wayne movie. And you remember the the House Un-American Activities Committee? They were the, the they, they're some, sometimes confused with Joe McCarthy, but McCarthy was in the Senate. This was a House committee investigating communist infiltration. And one of the places they were investigating communist infiltration <coughs> was in Hollywood. And the famous Hollywood 10 in the late 40s were sent to prison, some of them, for taking the Fifth Amendment, for not answering questions. They were held in contempt of Congress. So these, when they talk about the blacklist and they make movie after movie about the horrible blacklist, but no movies about how these dirtbags were were commie, <laughs> you know, commie uh, propagandists. They were propagandists for the slave state. 
John Wayne goes out and makes a movie in the early 50s in which he plays an investigator for the House on american Activities Committee tracking down communists. The movie is terrible. It didn't, it didn't do badly. It didn't do well. I mean, Wayne was one of the huge stars. But the movie is absolutely awful, but it's just hilarious to watch Wayne giving, giving it to these commies. He's in, he's in Hawaii facing down unions because they've been infiltrated by communists. And you ask the people, even his co-star, Nancy Olsen, was like tearing her hair out. The film's publicity slogan was, he's a go-get'em guy for the USA on a treason trail that leads half a world away. And I've got to play this. I'm running out of time, but I've got to play this scene where he confronts the communist leaders. Here he he is. He wants he he bursts in and is going to subpoena the communist leader. I pretended like I wanted to make this pinch myself. It's unusual, of course, but that's what I kept pretending. The real reason was I wanted to hit you one punch. Just one full-thrown right hand. But now I find I can't do it because you're too small. That's the difference between you people and us, I guess. We don't hit the little guy. We believe in fair play and all that sort of thing. So you get a pass. I have subpoenas for everyone in this room. You're pretty tough when you're talking to some guy that's only half your size, ain't you? Keep your mouth shut. No, I won't. I've had a belly full of this East Texas cotton-chopping jerk. Did you ever chop cotton? No, I'm from the country club set. That chopping cotton's for white trash and niggers. You do not use the N-word to the Duke. And I love, I love the, the, the difference between the working man and the, the uh, country club commie. So anyway, great movie, Big Jim McClain, one of the great bad movies of all time. Come back tomorrow. We will talk again. I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Thanks for listening. 